And, you know, we've really been encouraging you to memorize this great passage of Scripture with us. To, to, to just as a church family, we've been doing this. We've invested in some of these uh, little cards here that you can get at the back uh, on the table. I think somewhere back there, there's some cards. We, uh, the first week, we, do, we, we did 600 of these. They were gone the first week. You guys took all of them. And so hopefully you've been working on that with us. Mine's a little tattered. I keep it with me everywhere I go, and I work on it in those spare moments. And, uh, and then last week, we sought to inspire you about how important it is to memorize God's Word as we told the story of one of our, our church members who got really sick and literally was facing the, va- the valley of the shadow of death. And, and as she was having terrible fever and just doctors were concerned she was going to die that week, Miss Tony Ross, by the way, she was in our last service. She's here. She's healed. Praise God. And, uh, but as she sat up in her hospital bed, she began to recite the 23rd Psalm and her fever began to subside. But more than anything, she said the Spirit of God just flooded into her hospital room with her. And more than anything, she said she felt the peace of God that no matter what happened, she was going to be okay. It was well with her soul. And this week, we're showing you a three or four-year-old memorizing the 23rd Psalm. We tried to inspire you last week. I guess we're shaming you this week, all right? If you didn't get it yet, we're shaming you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but come on, a three or four-year-old can do it. You can as well. And you will never regret hiding God's Word in your heart, amen? You'll never regret that. It'll always be there in your heart at just the right moment. Now, every week what we've been doing is we've been breaking down this passage of Scripture and we've been kind of reciting it up to the place of where we're at. Now, now we've gone through every week uh, and stopped at that spot, but here we are at the final thing. So we're going to say it all together. So I want to invite you, you're going to get your exercise, stand back up with me right now in honor of God's Word, and, uh, and then we're going to recite the 23rd Psalm together. Remember, we always say the address of the verse first, and then we say it at the end to be sure that we remember where that is. Are you ready? All right, let's give it a go. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Give yourself a hand. You guys are awesome. Fantastic. Now let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, your good word, Lord, that is unchanging truth in our lives. It gives us guidance, Lord. It leads us in the paths of righteousness. It helps us make good decisions. Lord, it gives us instruction for, for how to live this life. It gives us encouragement, Lord, when, when we're uh, feeling just disheartened or maybe discouraged about something. Lord, you comfort us with your word. I thank you that even though this particular passage was written maybe upwards to 3,000 years ago, Lord, it's still relevant for our life today. God, your word is also that rod that gives us correction in our lives when we need it, and you discipline us with it because you love us, Lord. You want us to live a life that brings honor to your name. I'm so thankful, Lord, that your word, your word has always been, it currently is, Lord, and it will always be the source of comfort for your people. We thank you for that today, God. That when our lives do sometimes get chaotic, we can find our peace in your word, in the truths that are found in your word. Lord, your word, it's what shows us who you are. 
Your word is what shows us what you are like, that you are good and kind and loving, that you are a close God to us, that you are our shepherd. God, I thank you that your word is so simple and understandable that even a three or four-year-old can memorize it and have it hidden in her heart. And yet also, Lord, it's so profoundly deep that we can never even begin to attempt to touch the depths of your word. Lord, it's powerful in our lives, and we give thanks to you for making it available for us to have in our hearts. It's in Jesus' good name, our shepherd. In his name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Grab your seat, grab your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 23. You can also put your uh, finger in uh, Philippians as well. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. But as you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What is it that follows you in your life? We all have something that kind of follows you. What is it that follows you in your life, something that comes to mind. Now, I confessed about seven months ago, I confessed to you guys, just trying to be really transparent, that uh, after our family lost our big manly dog, that dog, that Labrador named Jasper, he was an awesome dog. We lost him. He had tumors and died of cancer there. After we lost that dog, I let uh, 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 Hope and Trinity pick out our next dog, and uh, I confess to you that, that they didn't pick out a manly dog. Does anybody remember what kind of dog they picked out? I got what? A Yorkie Poo. A Yorkie Poo. I never thought I would end up with a dog, with a dog that had poo on the name uh, on the end of the name right never thought that would would be that manly of a dog I kind of like a manly dog you don't really I kind of wanted a bulldog you don't get a bulldoggy poo do you don't get that you don't get a mastiffy poo that doesn't work right you don't get anything a pit bully poo you know it doesn't doesn't work nothing too manly but nonetheless I am a proud owner of, of, a, uh, of a Yorkie Poo. Now, here's the deal about this Yorkie Poo. This Yorkie Poo thinks he is a pit bull, all right? And this Yorkie Poo follows me everywhere around in the house. He loves me. This dog loves me. He follows me. I can't take a step without him nipping at my, at my ankles or I step on him and then I nearly kill him when I do that, right? But he follows me. I go into a room. He follows me. You know, we have an older dog, an older lab that is probably not long with us as well. He's probably ready to go now because of the Yorkie poo because Charlie, Charlie torments everyone in the household. This house belongs to Charlie. You need to know. Charlie follows me, though, everywhere in the house, and, and, and he torments the older dog. You should see the look on Jack's face like, what have you done to me in my old age? I can't believe that you have done this to me. Jasper, we were cool. But now, Charlie, really? You brought this thing in. I can't go anywhere. I can't go in the front backyard without Charlie following me. We bonded instantly whenever a cat came into our backyard, and I watched Charlie and his response. Would he run away? Oh, no. Charlie, as I said, is like a pit bull. But at that time, maybe about 10 pounds, and he chased that cat that was just bigger than he was out of our yard. And I thought, this is a dog after my own heart right here. All right? Not a big cat person, you know. But he chased that, that dog. The kids, Hope, they call him Charlie. I call him Killer. All right? Because he is a straight up killer. Charlie, Charlie follows me. Uh, where I go, Charlie goes. My people are Charlie's people. That's how it is, right? He follows me. What is it that follows you? Maybe it's a, a, a pet, 
Or maybe it's a nickname that you have that you've never been able to get rid of, right? You wish you could. It just follows you wherever you go. Also in transparency, a couple of years ago, I shared with you Uh, hoping to maybe find a little compassion in this church. I shared with you my nickname, my childhood nickname. Does anybody remember what it is? Oh, you know, you don't forget that. You remember the 20, or you can't remember the 23rd Psalm, but you got Biscuit. You never forgotten that one, right? And I thought there'd be a little compassion, but oh no, what happens? Cans of biscuits end up on my front porch. Somebody put a biscuit on my Suburban. Somebody anonymously, have I ever mentioned we have some punks in this church, right? Somebody took a picture of this and put it on the window of my car. You know you want me to do it, right? Hee-hee, <laughs> right? You want me to do it. I mean, would I find any compassion at EVC? Heck no. I mean, you know what it's like. And so maybe you have a nickname that's followed you that you don't like that, and it comes up, it follows you, you know. Or maybe it's a reputation that you've not been able to shake, some kind of reputation that it's been following you all of your, your life. Could be a good reputation that you have that whenever people think about you, that reputation is a good reputation that follows you. For some of you, maybe it's, it's not a good reputation, or maybe it's an identity that you kind of wrapped yourself up in that follows you around. Maybe it's a label other people have given you that follows you. My 20-year-old son, Luke, uh, he and I were in a, a department store together while uh, Hope, my wife, and Trinity, my daughter, they were shopping, and not our funnest thing to do while we're shopping. And so Luke and I always look for ways to kill time while we're there, maybe against our wishes. And so we found ourselves in the fragrant the fragrance department and uh, while Luke was not paying attention I took one of the women's perfume tester bottles and I sprayed his backside over and over and over and over <laughs> soaked his backside with with uh, this fragrance and uh, maybe we have punks in this church because your pastor's a punk could that be it as well and so Luke walked through the store with the fragrance following him everywhere. He had fragrance following him. We have things that follow us, right? We have things that follow us. Maybe for you it's debt that's following you. You're like, it follows me all the days of my life. The bill collectors won't stop calling me. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's that cloud of depression. And I've talked very openly about how at certain times I felt like that cloud of depression can follow me sometimes. And if I slow down for even a moment, it, next thing you know, it can envelop me, right? And that's pursuing me. Sometimes I feel that way. Some of you know that, that and, and understand that. For some of you, maybe it's some sin that, that you committed in your life and you made a bad decision and the consequences, you're forgiven now, but you you know those consequences have been following you and you've been trying to maybe fix those and you can't always fix those and they're there and they follow you, right? Now people have cameras on their phones and everyone has a phone and we know that some people have videos and pictures that follow them all the days of their lives, right? I mean, you got to be careful with those things, right? They follow us. Sometimes they pursue us. Whatever it is that follows us, it pursues us relentlessly like predators trying to take down prey. Sometimes it's like a parasite in your life that kind of sucks the life out of you whenever you, it finally catches up with you. Now David, who is the author of this great song, you should, song and psalm that we know, in the 23rd psalm that we've been memorizing and we've been breaking it down and unpacking it week after week and understanding it, he boldly made this claim of something that was, that was following him all the days of his life. 
King David is, is in his older years, most likely whenever he wrote this, and he's looking back on his life now. He's, he's reflecting upon his life and thinking of the closeness of the relationship of his God. Remember, we started in week one, and he says, the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah. He is, and there's a key word, my shepherd. There's a personal relationship David has with Yahweh, with Jehovah. And he, there's so many sub-themes in this passage that we've broken down each week, right? We talked in, in, in week one about the provision of God that I shall not want because of my contentment in who God is. We talked about the peace of God, right? We've talked about the protection of God, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? You are with me. The whole psalm turns to this personal testament to God. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Last week was he prepares a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's the prosperity of God right there. But there's an overarching theme you'll find that really encompasses all of these as David summarizes how God has been in the entirety of his life. And here's what it is. It is the presence of God, the presence of the shepherd. Right? You have all of those sub-themes, but this is the summary statement David makes. He's saying, God, you have been my personal shepherd throughout my lifetime. When I look back, as I'm an older man now, I'm looking back on my life. You've led me into good choices and right paths. When anything that I've done that's been good has happened, it's because you led me into that. So God, you've gone ahead of me as my leader. You've led me to peaceful waters when I needed that. You led me to greener pastures to find rest. You've walked when I was in the storm or in the chaos right by my side. You are with me. That's present tense right now. So you've, you've gone ahead of me. You're right here with me right now. You've prepared the table before me. You went ahead and prepared the table uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. And now there's this confidence that is building with David in this psalm. There's a confidence that you, you just feel this intensity that's emerging in this great psalm. And this is what he's going to say now in the last verse. And surely this, surely you've also come behind me is what he's saying. You're out ahead of me. You're with me right now. And you come behind me. You've been trailing me and chasing me with this, your goodness and your mercy. In other words, God, you've always had my back. You've always had my back. Even whenever I was maybe even running away from you, you never stopped pursuing me. You never gave up on me. Your grace, your loving kindness, your love has been pursuing me all of my life. What did he say? Psalms 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What does it say, church? Forever. Forever I'm going to dwell in God's presence. Right? It's the presence of God. There's some things we learn from David throughout this whole psalm about how to be a person that goes through chaotic times in our lives and how to actually be at peace. How to actually have comfort in our life. How do we experience this, right? Now, here's some key thoughts to write down today. If you're taking notes, write this first one down. You can actually have confidence when you choose and it's a choice. When you choose to focus on the character of God, and that's what David does. Throughout the entirety of the psalm, he's looking at the character, 
right? Let's just break this verse down a little bit today and just, and just uh, un- let it unfold before us. He starts with this word, surely, right? Not surely, but surely. He uses this word. He, every word is intentional. He didn't have to have this word in here. He could have just said, goodness and mercy. Your goodness and mercy follow me. He didn't, though. He said, he said this word of certainty. There was conviction, Surely your goodness and mercy. There's confidence that he has in who God is, right? He, when, a, when a sheep, what David is conveying is when a sheep understands with conviction, with certainty, the kind of shepherd that they really have, when they truly understand how blessed they really are, do you know what that produces within that sheep's soul? It produces contentment. You're content. You're satisfied in the shepherd. You're satisfied. That's why he could say, I shall not want, or I am lacking nothing. There was this producing of satisfaction. He's confident in who God is in spite of the circumstances that are surrounding him. Some scholars think that when David wrote this, this was at a time that he's reflecting certainly back upon his life, but it was at a chaotic time in his life when his own son, Absalom, sought to overthrow David's rule, sought to, 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 to kill his own father and to take him, his kingdom and betrayed him. Can you imagine the pain that he must have felt and the betrayal that David must have had? I can't even fathom that as I love my son so much and, and, and that that was would happen, right? Even though I, I might squirt him with the perf- perfume, you know, but he would never do something like that to me. And if he did, I, c- I could never understand that. But David, David had this circumstance that he possibly was dealing with, but rather than focusing so much upon the chaos, which is what we're so prone to do, he, he placed his focus elsewhere. He's saying, in essence, no matter what may happen, God, no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what may happen in my life, God, I can clearly see this, that your goodness and mercy have always been right there in the picture. You've always been working in my life, even when it didn't look good around me. That's a real bold statement of faith he's making about who his shepherd is. Right? You have always been doing something, Lord. It may not be good what I'm experiencing. It may be difficult what I'm going through, the hardship I'm facing. But I know this, God, because of your character, I know that in your compassion, you are working in ways I can't see. You're doing things that I, I, I can't even maybe even understand at this point because I know this is the kind of shepherd that I have. That's why David says, surely this. With certainty, this is who you are. Your goodness, your mercy, they're trailing me. And if, if that's the kind of shepherd that I have, who's always at work and even the difficulties in my life, what he's saying is, what do I have to fear? Why do I have to be afraid? Even if they kill me, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God has my back. I'm going to be okay. He's declaring this about his God who is sovereign and who is in control, which really pushes the question of application for you and for me today. 
As I was studying this, I really had to ask this question. Is this really how I feel about my Jesus, who is the good shepherd? Is this how I feel in the relationship that I have with Christ? Can I say this about how, and you ask yourself, can I say this with conviction about how I approach difficulties when they come up in my life? Do I still believe, here's the question, do I still believe God is good? Even when I go through hardship, right? I mean, it's easy to say, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life whenever the health is good, right? Whenever the job is good. When the money and the paycheck, you have plenty to pay your bills. It's easy to say, goodness and mercy follow me. Are we convinced, though, that no matter what happens in our, in the, in our lives in this broken world that we live in, that God is still really pursuing me with his goodness and mercy? It's easy to say it whenever the family is well. It's easy to say it when everything's going okay with the kids and the, the relationship with my spouse is, is, is harmonious and, and, and we're in love. And it's easy to say that and feel that. But did you notice the word that he says? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me there's a word all all the days of my life uh, of my life so what does that mean it includes the bad times too that david is referring to right it's easy to say it in the good times but what about when the body starts breaking down and that will happen to all of us and some of you have experienced that and you're going through that right now is god still good is god still merciful What about when the income begins to dry up? Or what about when the job changes and now I hate my job? What about if there's a substantial loss in my life or in my family? What if there is a betrayal in a friendship that happens, right, in people's lives? What about if if there's just a lack of, of harmony in my relationship with my spouse, but instead it's constant conflict all the time? What about when I am facing the valley of the shadow of death and the enemies David had experienced that had chased him to the point of wanting to kill him, right? Most of us will never go through anything like that, but David said, surely even in those days, God was chasing me even more with his goodness and with his mercy. Let's be real, because that is how we always want you to be here at EBC. We don't want you to just pretend. We don't, always want you to, we don't want you to put on a fake plastic smile. Sometimes life is just really hard. Some of you are going through some of that right now, and, and, and you're facing that. And, and truly, it's in those dark times that can be the true test of how we feel about, about God's care and his concern in our life as our shepherd. It can be a test, and sometimes we fail that test. I know that I do. Sometimes I, I've questioned that at certain points in my life. Does God really love me at this hard time in my life? And, and, and does he really, does he still love me when my world's falling apart around me or things aren't working out according to my plan or my dreams are kind of coming to a close or I'm, I'm in a place now where I never thought I would be right now? Can I with certainty say that God still loves me? Or is it purely based upon... <laughs> rock out, okay? Is it purely based upon, is it based upon, you know, just good things that happen in my life? Psalm 23, he's older now, he's more mature. Now, you should know that at certain points in the Psalms, you can read and you could see that David certainly also had those questions. 
So I don't want you to think that if you have those questions that you're wrong and that you're bad. We all have those times where we wonder that. I love the transparency of the Psalms where David, you'll see him over and over again going, God, when are you going to do something? God, how are you, you know, and those were times where David was so raw as he was going through what he was going through. But now he's older. Now he's seasoned. He's more mature and he's looking back now. And he can say now as an older man with confidence saying, you know what, even in all those times, God's still good. God used it and it's been working. That's why I could say, David would say, it's well with my soul because I know that God, I can say with confidence, is working everything out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God's still good and gracious even whenever my world's fallen apart. And this is what he's saying. Let's face it. This is a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. Nobody ever said Christianity was easy. But this is where your your faith in who God is, the rubber meets the road. When you go through challenges. And what does God want to do in those times? He wants to mature us. He wants to to grow us up to where we have that same kind of faith that David has. We can learn from David because for so many of us, when we're in those valleys and in those dark spots and we're looking at the mountain or the obstacle that's in front of us, right, and they're looming over us, sometimes it can be really difficult to see anything good coming out of the situation. In fact, here is a hard pill for us to swallow. Sometimes we will never see it in this lifetime. We'll never get it because... Our brains cannot fully comprehend and we don't have the the ability to see things the way that God sees them. But that's why faith is so important. That's why when you still praise God, even in the difficulty, that's why that is such a sacrifice of praise that pleases God. That's why it's so powerful to God. God, I don't like this time that I'm in right now. I don't understand it. I can't see anything good coming out of this. But God, because of what I know about you, I choose to believe. I can't see it right now, but I choose to believe this. You are perfectly good. And you are perfectly working. And I'm going to choose, rather than wringing my hands anxiously and living fearfully, God, I am instead going to choose to rest in who you are. That's what David is doing. That's what he's doing in his maturity here. All right, this is powerful. I'm gonna trust in you, God. Secondly, write this down. Your next thought is you can actually have peace when you choose to trust that God always has had your best interest in mind. You can be peaceful because you know that even if things don't look good on the outside, you know confidently who God is and that he is working and that he does love you and you believe that about him and he's working things out even when you can't see them. He says, surely with confidence. Now he uses a description, goodness, goodness and mercy. The word goodness is used by David as this description of what his understanding in totality of what God is like right? He's good. There's not anything that is not good about God. Pardon the double negative there, but people had a view of God's, little G-O-D-S, in this time, had a view of God's. And some of us have a view of God in this manner now that, they, that God, the gods were vengeful, that the gods were hateful, that the gods were, were, they took great pleasure in, in seeing the suffering condition of humanity. And David is saying, not Jehovah, Not Jehovah. 
My God is not like that. He is good. He has nothing but love for me. He is different. He's kind. He's long-suffering. This was so incredibly different than what people of this age understood about the gods. Right? And he is saying, no, he is the one true God, and this is how he is. He's always been working for my good. What David is coming to this place of is saying, looking back at his life, God has blessed me, and therefore I will choose to rest in that. I am content. David figured out this, right? How many of you want to know a secret? Anybody want to know a secret? You know, when someone says, do you want to know a secret? There's something in us that we're like, yeah, I want to know that. Yeah, tell me what that is. Tell me the secret. Can I tell you the secret to contentment today? Do you want to know it? Yeah, I need that, right? The secret of contentment, David figured it out in chaos. He's showing it to us right here, right? He's showing us that that it's this. It's to focus on what God has done and what his character is, and it's to trust that he's always working for my good, even when I can't see it, even in those difficult times, not because I deserve it, but because it's in his nature. That is a secret. I can't help but think of Paul, where Paul found himself in prison, trying to do the right thing, spreading the gospel, right? You'd think that you'd be really blessed for that, and right? And that, and that nothing would go bad, right, if that's what your theology is. But no, Paul is in prison for the gospel. He's in prison, and yet he finds himself in dire, a dire situation And this is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It's the same kind of thing. It's it's, it's basically what David is saying in Psalms 23. Paul writes this, and let it speak to you today. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about, say it with me, church, what? Everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. What is he doing? He's looking back and remembering the goodness and mercies of God. There's a choice to focus on it. Now look at verse 7. Here's the result. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. I can't even comprehend it. It's beyond us. It doesn't make sense, right? His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, his peace will bring you comfort in your chaos. And now, dear brothers and sisters, verse 8, one final thing he tells us. Here's your secret. Your secret. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent And worthy of praise. Who is he telling us to think about? God. Think about Jesus. Think about these things. Focus on his character, right? Now look at this. Keep putting into practice all you learned. He's been teaching them this and received from me. And now his testimony is even more powerful because they're seeing him put it into practice while he's in prison. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and he's going to say this, then the God of peace will be with you. You will be comforted in your chaos. He's saying, you can look at my life and see that this is true. You can look at David's life and see that this is true. Now listen to what Paul says. He goes on and he says, for I have, what's the word? Learned. 
I've learned this. I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to be satisfied with whatever I have. Why? How has he learned this? Because he's discovered that Jesus, as he's focused upon him, and his grace really are sufficient. He goes on, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He's saying, I've been rich and I've been poor. I know both sides of it. I have learned, everybody say it with me, what? The secret. Because you know what's a secret? A lot of people don't know this. Most people don't know how to live like this. Most people are discontented. This is so countercultural, isn't it? This is so opposite of the way we're wired up. And God says, you can do this. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then this most famous verse, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me what? Strength. In every situation, Christ strengthens me. I, you know what he's saying? I shall not want. That's what he's saying. I am lacking nothing. Paul and David learned this. There's so many others who've learned this. Horatio Spofford, as we know his story about losing his children and yet still writing a song, it is well. How do people get to that place? Can we get to this place? I can't help but think also about one of my heroes of the faith, Corey Ten Boom, this amazing woman. Many of you know who she is, this Christ follower who was in the Netherlands back during World War II who hid Jews. She and her family, her father and her sister, hid Jews from Hitler and his henchmen during World War II. They were found out and they were imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. And yet she somehow learned the secret of contentment. It wasn't that it wasn't a hard life because it was. And even as the Nazis killed her father, even as they murdered her sister, listen to the spiritual depth and the maturity of some of the things that have emerged out of this woman's life as she survived. She's a hero of our faith. Listen to the kinds of things and, and, th- and ask yourself this, how does a person get there? Am I there that I could say these kinds of things? She says things like this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That speaks of a relationship, right? Do you think she had an unknown future? You bet. She didn't know if she was even going to make it. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. How about this one? Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Wow. Wow. Listen to this one. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed, right? Because you can't fix things. If you look at God, there's your focus you will be at rest. Listen to this one. Hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. She learned that, hadn't she? Right? She learned that this world is temporary. It's temporary. How about this one? 
You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. What about this one? There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I can think of no pit deeper than watching my family be murdered in a Nazi concentration camp. And as we read these, right, we listen to the depth of her walk with God. We look at David and we see the depth in this walk with God. We see Paul and this depth of this walk with God. And here's what God wants us to know. That is available to us today. It's the same God. The same opportunities when we go through things in our life. He's the same God to us that he was to them. He has not changed. Amen, right? It's the same God. And it is available to us today. I could just keep reading you. quote. I probably read her quotes for an hour. And I was just sitting there just overwhelmed by that thinking, God, I, I want to know you to those depths. I want to know you in that kind of way, God. Here's the key, right? What is the key in their life? The key is this. They chose to focus. They fixed their minds on the goodness of God and his unchanging love for them rather than fixing their minds on the circumstances and what they could see at that moment. This is the key and the secret to a contented life. It's a choice. It's a choice of faith and thanksgiving that I will choose to be thankful I may not like what I see right now, but I'm going to say, God, you are good. You are merciful. This word mercy is actually this Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word hesed. This word mercy doesn't fully do it justice, okay? This word that talks about a a kind of love that God has. This word mercy or hesed would indicate this, that it's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. We're not entitled to this kind of love. It's purely this. It's because of God's character and his goodness that we are loved the way that he loves us. It's it's this hesed love. uh, It's often this word is attached to the forgiveness of God, right? And and, and it's a covenantal love that's undeserved, unmerited promise that God has made to us. We don't deserve it, but yet he still does it. The best definition I've ever seen for hesed love was in a kid's Bible, and it was written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and she describes Hesed love of God this way. Listen to this. It is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always forever love. That is Hesed. That's what it is. It's so good. David's saying with confidence, even when I messed up with Bathsheba and I wrecked lives all around me, I deserve death. But God, you never gave up on me. Even when I sinned, you still kept pursuing me. Your goodness and mercy, your hesed, have followed me in spite of me all the days of my life. And some of you have had some sin maybe that has followed you all the days of your life. And you don't feel like you can ever be forgiven. What is he saying right here? You need to hear this today. That his pursuit of you has never stopped. You can't earn it. 
He's been pursuing you in spite of yourself and in spite of me. And he says, surely this kind of love and mercy, this never giving up love shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This word forever, it's actually better. All my days is the way it translates. It's not just one day when I'm in heaven. It's I can be and live in his presence every single day to the last day. I'm here on this earth, in this physical body, but also forever. This is what brings me contentment. As we consider the goodness of God, the blessings, the hesed love actually following me, being poured into my life, here's your final thought. When you are content, when you've learned this, you're contented in the shepherd, you then become a conduit of his goodness and mercy into the lives of the people who are in your life. If you're a parent, I specifically want you to think about your kids right now or your grandchildren. You see, when you get this and you've figured out how to deal with problems and you are satisfied in God, it's not that you don't get upset sometimes. We all do, right? But there's a general contentment within you. I want you to know something. We're all leaving a trail behind us in some way. Here's the question for you. Are goodness and mercy following you, flowing out of your life? Are you depositing goodness and mercy into the lives of your kids? How do you handle things? How do you, how, what do they see whenever it gets rough? The question is this, what's following you, right? We know that God is, but, but, but you're leaving a trail of some kind. I'm leaving a wake some kind in my family's life. I love watching, as we close with this video, I love watching with my family every year this great Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Watch this example in the trail and the wake of, of, of sometimes when we don't handle things right and we're discontented, how sometimes we leave a trail of devastation when we are discontent or when we're anxious or when we're angry, we're overwhelmed rather than trusting in God and resting in Him. Watch this part about George Bailey. And did you put the envelope in your pocket? Yeah, no, right. no, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe, I don't want any, maybe. We've got to find that money. I've no good deal. Uncle Billy, look, I, do you realize what's going to happen if we don't find it? Listen to me, do you have any secret hiding place here in the house? Someplace you would have, someplace you hide the money. I've come over the whole house, even in rooms that have been locked since I lost Listen, listen to me. Thank, thank. I can't think anymore, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? Do you realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Come on, see 
up me, so I use to get this star up way up at the top. There it is. about Harry. Well, famous, George. Bet I had 50 calls today about the parade, the banquet. Your mother's so excited. and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What is it, sore throat or what? Just a cold. The doctor says it's The doctor? Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. He said nothing to worry Is she about. running at temperature? What is this? Just a teensy one. 99.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. Drafty old barn on the place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, Troy. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know. I asked your mother. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. The doctor said that she ought to be out of bed in time to have her Christmas dinner. Is that Zuzu's teacher? Yes. Let me see. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Welch. This is George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half-naked? You realize she'll probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? George. Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people, that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? Hello? She's hung up. I'll hang her up. What is Hello, who's this? Oh, Mr. Welch. Okay, that's fine, Mr. Welch. Give me a chance to tell you what I really think of your wife. George, Will you George. get out and let me handle this? Hello. Hello, what? Oh, you will, huh? Okay, Mr. Welch, anytime you think you're man enough, you... Hello. Any... Uh... Dad, how do you spell hallelujah? How should I know? What do you think I am, a dictionary? Tommy, stop that, stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it! Stop it!
sorry, Mary. Janie, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I... You go on and practice. Pete, I owe you an apology, too. I'm sorry. What do you want to know? Nothing, Daddy. What's the matter with everybody? Janie, go on. I told you to practice. Now go on, play. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> George, why must you torture the children? Why don't you... a heavy part of the movie we know it has a happy ending but so true and so real that there are those that are always watching us as we go through the things we go through in our life they are also following us aren't they and the question is what are they finding in our wake as we go through the things we go through do they find goodness and mercy flowing out of our lives as a conduit because of the goodness and mercy of God that we've come to understand and know. And it doesn't mean that we handle everything perfectly, but we know who our God is and we are anchored in the storms. Do people see goodness and mercy as a trail being left in your life? As a parent, as a grandparent, or do they see a trail of anger and rage bitterness or is it goodness and mercy let's just go to the Lord right now and thank him for the goodness and mercy in our lives it's so undeserved you see we're created in the image of God to represent Christ to people around us I love what John Piper says Pastor John Piper says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you satisfied and contented in God, in Jesus? Is he enough for you? What kind of trail are you leaving? What would those around you say about your trail? Is it goodness and mercy? What about your kids? What would they say? How do they see you handle things? This is why it is so important for us to learn this secret of contentment. It's imperative for us to catch this in our lives because we are leaving some kind of trail. God wants you to be satisfied in Him. He has been pursuing you with His unfailing love all of your life. Even when we fail, He never stops pursuing us. Some of you really need to hear that today. Take that in and rejoice in that. Some of you, some of you, maybe today you're overwhelmed by your problems, and maybe your eyes are more on the problems and the circumstances. And what we learn is David and Paul and these others, they look to the shepherd. Remember what Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. Stop trying to fix it, is what she says. Give it to God. If you look to God, you will be at rest. Look to him today. What is it that you need to give to him? 
Father, we are so grateful that you are our shepherd and that truly goodness and mercy, your unrelenting love chases after us all the days of our lives, even when we don't deserve it.